Blog Talk Radio. Entrepreneur, or lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor, or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis, or whatever passion lights that pilot light under your belly, or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand, huh? And grow together and expand like a rage of fire from a single to a multi-unit empire. Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear and streaming in HD to fine tune both your ears. Stan and Paul lays down the law. Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor, it's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising, proven concepts, the smart enterprises. So use your left and right side of your brain and absorb this knowledge here of franchising today. Huh, Badlands, baby. Huh. Franchising today. Sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Sustainable growth to sensible franchise. Franchise today. Franchise today. Franchise today. And hello again, everybody in the franchise world. My name is Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Stan's flying solo today in a manner of speaking, but ironically enough, here I am in Houston, Texas home of co-host Paul Segreto. And Paul is not with us today. Paul had a a scheduling conflict, and so many, many times I owe him for those times that I've been traveling, and he has stood in and gone solo. So today is my shot at doing the same and doing it from Houston, Texas, and making up for the shortcoming by missing Paul. We're doing something that we've probably only done once, maybe twice that I can remember, and that's we're on site today. We're actually visiting the home offices of our guests, and I'm coming to you from Kalachi Factory in Katy, Texas. And more about that in just a few minutes, but as we typically do, got some things to share with you in the front of the house. And not the least of those is hearty congratulations to somebody who I have come to call friend here in the last few months. I'm talking about Mary Heitman who is the new president of the IFA's Educational Foundation, or FERF as we now call it, Franchise Education and Research Foundation. As you may know, Mary joined the IFA back in February as vice president of the foundation, and now that John Reynolds has officially retired, uh, Mary is assuming the role as president and and filling John's shoes is going to be a tall order, but I've met Mary, and and as I've gotten to know her, uh, she's going to bring a lot to the Educational Foundation Great new ideas and, um, and building on the ones that have already been years in progress. Also want to congratulate our friends at the Gents Place. The Gents Place is opening its first franchise location this week since launching a national franchising program. Franchisee Peter Terracina signed a multi-unit agreement with the company back in March, including the first location, which will be opening on Thursday uh, in Chicago, Illinois. So congratulations to our friends at the Jen's Place. Also wanted to uh, point out, if you've not seen it yet, 
you definitely want to pick up the November issue of Franchising World magazine uh, and check out the article about strength, strengthening your franchise from the inside out. Um, this is written by our friend Sam Ballas, CEO of East Coast Wings, and uh, we all know Sam's middle name is Ibada. There's nobody who can't learn a little bit about growing their businesses and doing so profitably uh, by checking out Sam's article on the November issue of Franchising World. I also wanted to make you aware that the IFA this year is doing a series of virtual events as a run-up to the convention in Phoenix. And one of those will feature our good friend, Greg Nathan. So on December 7th at 1 o'clock, do check out the, um, the webinar, the Wednesday Wise webinar that IFA will be featuring, Greg Nathan, and you can register for that at franchise.org. Big restaurant news to share with you this week, and that is we all know last month, uh, Rourke Capital was taking a run at a little company called Buffalo Wild Wings. And there was some pushback on their initial offer, and we've been waiting to hear what might follow. And what follows was announced earlier this week with Arby's acquiring Buffalo Wild Wings for $2.4 billion, that's with a B, $2.4 billion. And, um, and so we're kind of still did acquire um, Buffalo Wild Wings, but they're just doing it as a working unit under the Arby's umbrella, which is, of course, a rock company. Um, so now that we all know that, something that I didn't know is, is that Wendy's actually is a beneficiary of this merger, and I didn't know that um, Wendy's is currently an 18.5% shareholder in Arby's. So even the competition, in a sense, stands to gain from Brooks' acquisition of Arby's. And that pretty much does it for the front of the house today. Today we're going to have a, the real treat to talk about um, – what has been called sweet surprises. And many in the audience, I'm sure, are unaware of what a kolache is, but that's not going to be the case in the next 45 minutes. You're going to know. I've known kolaches because my wife's Czechoslovakian, and that's been part of the construct of Czechoslovakian baking on holidays, as I've been treated to some of the traditional uh, kolaches that, that are the old world Eastern European delicacy, if you will. <coughs> This morning, I got treated to a couple of kolaches that are 21st century kolaches. And while my wife probably won't agree that I had a kolache today, I don't care. <laughs> because what I ate this morning was out of this world. So I'm joined today and happy to be hosted by Don Nielsen, who is the COO of the kolache factory, and her dad, John Banks, who's actually the founder and CEO. And um, that makes you the first daughter, right? It sure does. It makes me the princess of kolaches. <laughs> Welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you, Stan. And it's a pleasure to be right here in Houston at your home base. And I'm going to see and taste more of this later today, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we only have just a few more for you to try. <laughs> so here goes all that, uh, you know, low-carb stuff that we all strive toward, but what the hey. So as Paul and I always do, we like to try to start our conversation with a little bit of history, because we always say that nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a franchisor, or I'm going to be baking for a living. Um, there's got to be a run back to some 35 or more years ago where this idea first took hold. And John, why don't you share with us how this all began? Well, we, we started out in, uh, in 1982 
my wife had a um, a gift shop in a shopping center, and uh, we we uh, tasted galoshes there for the first first time I, th- I think, and uh, so we really liked the uh, the idea, and an opportunity for our lease space came up in the uh, same same center. And so we op- opened up uh, Kalachi Factory. We uh, we did our own recipes and uh, from 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 scratch. We had an idea of of uh, how we wanted uh, wanted it all to work. And uh, so we uh, we opened up and uh, we didn't have any money. We uh, we we opened for about nine thousand dollars and we opened and we borrowed all of that from the bank. So. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, kind of a slow start, but it, we we were actually we were on the wrong side of the street. Little did we know, being in the breakfast business, you should be right. on the morning traffic side. Uh, so, uh, but we survived there for for the three years of our our first lease. And uh, <clears throat> one of the one of the way, uh, ways we survived was uh, we had a, a, a customer that. Uh, we did a catering job for, and they like they liked what we did. They owned 13 high-rise office buildings, and we did the catering uh, job for all those buildings in the month of December. And uh, that was uh, pretty much the end of our first year, and and that was the first money we'd seen that we made in the Kalachi business. What inspired it all, though? Like, what were you doing? What was your background? What what made you think that this was something that you could do and grow into? A thriving business that would sustain and grow and scale. Well, I, I worked uh, I worked in retail for for quite some time. I worked for a Kroger company for about six years, and then uh, I worked in a large bakery for uh, ten years. And I did a, a number of different jobs in that bakery. We sold the uh, sold bread to the grocery stores. It was uh, it was uh, quite a large company, and uh, so that was my experience. I, I had a I felt like I had a lot of experience there in uh, in management, and uh, I have uh, uh, been managing depart- uh, department manager since I was probably 22 years old when I moved to Houston. So, but the Kalachi was I liked the idea because it was a, a handheld product, and uh, back then McDonald's had their uh, egg McMuffin, I mm-hmm. think it was, but it it would sort of fall all over you if you ate it in the car. So. We, we we like the idea of the Kalachi because it was totally portable. And I'm curious about the population of Eastern Europeans that have immigrated to Houston or to the Houston Southern Texas. There's a, there's a large base. I mean, I'm thinking most of this audience is hearing the word Kalachi for the first time today. But in this part of Texas, that's not the case, is it? There's pretty good-sized population of Eastern European immigrants Yeah, here. pretty good population. Not so much here in, in, in Katy or Houston, but a large portion in West Texas. So that's where you're going to see a lot of the small uh, mom-and-pop kolache shops um, that people stop in and talk about all the time. Um, and uh, that's sort of where, you know, kolache factory stemmed from was um, that Eastern European migration into, um, you know, the lower part of our Midwest Texas um, and, and West. So, Don, you're at this since you're nine, nine years old? I think I was eight, <laughs> I think, if we want to date myself, but yes. So um, that was about nine or ten years ago, right? Yeah, <laughs> nine or ten years ago. Um, yeah, so, no, I, I started uh, my days uh, scrubbing floors and, and waiting on customers and 
So I, I feel like I've done just about the gamut of um, uh, everything from, from top to bottom, sort of, so to speak. But um, it's been quite a journey, and I have a, a lot left to learn. Um, so it, it's exciting to see where we are going to be headed in the next few years in our expansion efforts. So, and we're going to talk more about that as, as we progress. But, you know, this is uh, – the whole evolution of a family grown business, you bring a whole new meaning to, to family owned business because your family, husbands, wives, spouses, uh, a lot of people involved in this business have, have been together for a long time. And a couple of things that the audience should know and that we'd love to put out there now because it's the basis of, of this conversation. This may be a new brand as a franchise, but this company has been in business for 35 years. And there have been people that have been working for this company for dozens of years. So the kind of culture that we like to talk about on Franchise Today is the word sustainable in front of growth and the word sensible in front of franchising. We see many, many new brands come along that haven't had the kind of proof of concept that a 35-year history has got here. So this, to me, is the slow and steady way to grow a franchise business. And this company now with 24 company-owned stores, 28 franchisees, and just a hair under $30 million in annual sales revenue, I think we can check off the boxes on sustainable growth. And certainly we're sensibly franchising because we're doing it slow and steady. Absolutely. So let's talk about the consumer side of this business because for that kind of growth, you've got to have something that your audience really, really loves, your customer base really loves. So let's go back to the early, early stage of growth and before franchising even got here. What was it the consumers were telling you about your brand that they just made them raving fans? Well, I, I think that they um, that they loved the fact that they could grab kolaches uh, on their way to work and, uh, you know, get in their car and, and eat along the way or, or and also uh, to take them uh, to the office for everybody else to take them by the dozen. So, I think too. Um, I think what was really unique and different from us is that you know you open up a box of donuts and you know exactly what you're going to grab. You're going to grab the strawberry iced one or the glazed or the the cake donut, right? Um, what's really fun about ours is that um, you know there's a little secret pocket inside of each one. So we have the traditional flavors like the fruit and the cream cheese that you can obviously by one glance know exactly what you're going to get. Um, but some of the other ones that you know we have brought into the 21st century, if you will, like the egg ones or the pizza or barbecue brisket, um, it's a little bit of fun to grab a grab a kolache and not know what you're going to bite into. So I think that from a perspective of um, when we were a very, very young brand, um, people bringing in a box of kolaches, it was a fun kind of thing. Like, look what I brought. It's something different. It's something unique. And um, what did you get, you know? How about the, um, the baking and the actual production? How is that done? At the location, is there a commissary, or how do you do that? We do not have a commissary. Every location bakes fresh on site every morning. So, um, you know, you are guaranteed a fresh product. Our bakers get there anywhere between 2.30 and uh, 4 a.m. Uh, to prepare the over 25 different varieties of kolaches and baked goods that we have on our shelves. And who's the creator of all these incredible taste and flavor profiles? Who's your, 
Who's your test kitchen king? We have a lot of people. I mean, we've had past franchisees that have come up with great flavors. A lot of our traditional ones are our staples that have been with us um, since the very beginning came from employees just messing around in the kitchen. But we have our, our own Kalachi Olympics that we hold once mm-hmm. a year. <laughs> Tell us about that. What's that about? We do. We, we divide our company up into six teams. And uh, each team produces two new kolaches. I love it. And then we bring in celebrity judges. Uh, in, uh, so we hold this in July every year. And uh, the judges uh, pick the winners. And uh, from there, we use those uh, kolaches throughout the year for our flavor of the month. So so you've got some built-in. That's pretty smart. You've got some, some built-in competitive-natured people who know what they like and don't mind sharing it. You're getting you're getting R and D out of the out of the best internal people on the team. How great is that? What about the aroma? Um, you know, in the sandwich business for years, uh, one of the greatest things that was um, an attribute of Blimpy when I was there was baking bread in the store in the morning and people before lunch would they'd walk by and right. they, they, that would catch their nose and, and you know, you were getting them hungry for a sandwich teeing them up for your lunchtime. How well, does that look here? Yeah, you know, um, the aroma is definitely there. We're baking all during the day. Um, so we have two main bakes during the, the one very in the, in the beginning. And then um, four hours later, we have another major bake. But we're baking all during throughout the day when we run out of items or replenishing and all of that. So there's always the fresh smell of baked kolaches in the oven. And we're always brewing fresh coffee as well. So, um, you know, you get that, you know, morning kind of kick, um, that your coffee and, and, and baked goods, uh, you know, and people are droving in. How many different markets do you guys feature? I mean, you've got to have the businessman in the morning, Obviously, you've got mom and kids. I mean, what's the profile of your consumer? Uh, yeah. Um, what What are the profiles of your consumer, and how do you market to a multitude of different demographics? Well, the, I think the one, the great thing about our product is it sort of markets itself. I mean, once people have it, um, and like John mentioned earlier, it's it's a great. Uh, item to eat on the go. Um, so it really appeals to moms that are traveling. They can just, you know, throw the bag to the kids and they can eat it and don't have to worry about the car getting messed up. Fantastic for sales. Um, one, of, one of the big groups that we have is pharmaceuticals that are coming in and taking it, dropping off to doctor's offices um, and such not. So um, we appeal to really a large base. I mean, from your um, blue collar to your white collar, um, the, the fact is our product is a, it's got a low price point. Um, it's easy to eat on the go, um, so we're not really missing anybody on that. How does it do for heat and hold? Does it does it travel well? I mean, it's easy from a travel perspective to grab and go, but can you take it and you know freeze it and reheat it, or how does that work? You you, you certainly can uh, freeze it and reheat it. Uh, of course, it, it's not ever going to have the freshness that you would have uh, with the fresh product. So, but our our. Um, our average sale is close to a dozen, so they're obviously taking the product uh, at other places. And one of the things that we did uh, in in the early days was put out coupons for buy six, get six free. And with that idea that somebody came in and bought that dozen, they're not going to eat it themselves. They're going to spread it around. Right. So that's that's uh, was our early marketing idea was to get the product around. 
Do you find that you still do things to help people understand what a kolache is? Is there an introduction to the product, or do they just find you and fall in love the first time? You know, in Texas, we don't have to do much of an introduction. Um, people pretty know pretty much people pretty much know what a kolache is. Um, in outside markets, yeah, there is a lot of education. You know, people don't know how to pronounce the word. They don't know it's food. Um, so there's a lot of photography that we use, a lot of um, headers that we use that you know are describing that it's a fresh baked, authentic product. Um, that it's got a lot of history behind it. So, um, and, and we help our franchisees do that um, successfully. Talk a little bit about benevolence because I see too in what I've read that you guys are, you, you're definitely paying forward by giving back. Yes. And you've got some relationships with some sports teams, little, little known clubs like the Houston football team, right? Right, the Houston the Texans. Texans. Um, but talk to us about about the charity and the corporate culture when it comes to that kind of benevolence? Yeah, so um, one of the huge charities that we're involved is uh, involved with is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and we've been involved with them for 12 years. Um, we've raised over $350,000 um, for the, the charity. Um, we're personally involved with it because um, I lost my mother to lung and brain cancer, and I lost my grandmother to multiple myeloma. Um, and multiple, multiple myeloma is a blood cancer. So we have chosen to partner with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for those reasons. It's personal to us. Um, and we think we do a great job, and our employees stand behind it. They get behind it. They, uh, they help our customers get behind it, and we couldn't do it without uh, either one of those parts of the puzzle to get us to raise those kind of funds. So, again, we've been doing it for 12 years. We also help many other foundations and fun runs and churches and schools within our communities as well as our franchisees do as well. And the franchisees participate happily in those endeavors yeah, in their local areas, yes. Awesome. That's great stuff. I mean, again, it's so much of what makes for a successful franchise is not just the secret sauce that is your product, but it's the culture and bringing the right people into the culture. And we'll talk more about that in the second half of the program. But let's just stick with the stores for a minute and tell me more about what a, a typical store operation looks like and how many people, um, how many how many items in inventory, what's distribution look like, how does the food get to the store, and, and how much training does it take for somebody to learn how to manage the integrity of the product? Our uh, <clears throat> typical store is about uh, 1,800 square feet. Uh, we have uh, anywhere from six to ten people on the staff. Uh, they start out at, uh, we open the doors at 6 a.m. in the morning. And, uh, and and close at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So it's a, it's a pretty short day. Items in inventory, how easily, and does somebody have to, you know, learn how to manage a matrix of inventoried items, or do you have a fairly short skew of? We, uh, we as far as the, the number of different kolaches, we probably have about 25 different flavors. And, uh, no, we... Uh, we use the major suppliers like uh, Cisco and, and PFG, so the, uh, the inventory is pretty easily uh, managed. And how many employees does it take to, to run a, a store? We, uh, anywhere from six to ten, and uh, depending on the, uh, on the volume of the store. And so these franchisees, are they, um, 
are they coming to you as customers first? or? Yeah, we can pretty much wholeheartedly <coughs> say 100% of them have. Really? We've tried traditional methods of advertising for, for franchise prospects, um, but uh, my husband, who handles franchise sales, uh, he is, uh, every time he says it's always that customer that comes back home for the holiday or, um, you know, a family member comes and visits somebody and they take them to a kolache factory and say, oh, you've got to have this. And they go back home with a couple dozen boxes and, and share with family and friends and say, I've got to bring it back to my community. This is the, you know, the neatest thing. It's so fun to eat. Um, and I think it's fun. Everybody likes to bake, you know. Uh, it makes you feel like you're, uh, you're doing something good, you know. Are your locations, as I've seen, I've never seen them before this trip. But, I mean, yesterday I got into Houston and it seemed like everywhere I turned, you know, I was looking at another kolache factory. It was late in the day, so to your point, John, they weren't open, but right. uh, but very very visible in the retail space. Any um, any designs on non-traditional developments, stadiums, universities, airports? No, we uh, well we were in uh, an, an airport once in uh, Indianapolis, and uh, we liked that, but it's 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 uh, strictly a matter of location, that and that's uh, regardless of. Of where you're at, we're in uh, downtown Houston in the tunnel system, which was our second location that turned out pretty well for us in uh, in in sales. And uh, but we uh, we go out and and look at the location every time. We we never take anybody else's word for it. Our uh, we we had one failure on our fourth location that uh, was due to location, and and uh, we took the we took the salesman's word for it, and uh, which was that this is the best location you'll ever find in your life. Uh, so we don't uh, we don't listen at that anymore. We go look, we we count the traffic, and we check it out. I'm surprised you fell into that trap after the first store was on the wrong side of the street. I, I think you have to learn that lesson again. I know you? it. I, I said if I do that third time, they're going to kill me. So. <laughs> <laughs> How is real estate now as retail is is going through such a um, terrible time. I'm wondering, you know, if locations are more readily available for you now than maybe once upon a time, or is real estate still pretty competitive? It's still very competitive, and uh, the, uh, you know, the big players like, like Starbucks, they always seem to be there uh, when that uh, main and main location opens up, so it, it's still pretty difficult to get the great one. How far out do you have to secure real estate, or do you not begin to look for locations until you've got a franchisee interested in that location or that zip code, or are you out there looking to procure potential locations in advance of franchisees signing no, on? No, we, we wait until the franchise uh, signs the agreement, and then we start looking for a location, and uh, sometimes that, that can happen right away, or it can take six months. But, but. Are we still doing company stores, or in, what's the plan for how you're going to further develop and grow. And we'll talk more about who you're looking for in a little while, but first questions really about uh, company-owned versus franchised operations. Yeah, no, great question. Um, no, our primary focus is on franchising. Uh, we will always continue to expand corporately, um, but that's at a much smaller scale. Um, we have um, about 26 units right now that are open that are corporate, um, and we plan about one or two a year 
depending on if that right location opens up. Um, the other thing is we like to keep our corporate locations central to home base. Um, that's why it's easier for our supervisors to manage them. Um, franchising is just such a great opportunity because it allows someone else to take our brand and our unique product into a new market and, and they can do the footwork and they can hire the employees and we're there to help support. Um, so franchising is definitely the way we want to expand. It's the only way we're going to be able to get in all 50 states. Uh, so we're just, you know, uh, looking for those right candidates that are going to fit within our culture and expand. Do you run into any kind of um, any kind of issues? Do you have separate teams that support franchise versus company-owned stores, or how do you differentiate so that everybody? Well, you know, there are times where franchisees can sometimes get the impression that with so many company stores, a franchisor's got a dual agenda. You know, so do you have a happy culture that way, to where you've got the people? doing the support both on the corporate as well as franchise side satisfactorily? Well, we're a family-owned business, which means we wear many, many, many hats. hats. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, there's few people except payroll and pay, um, payables that get to say they get to stay in their little cubby hole. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we do. We have uh, two supervisors that uh, manage 90% of our corporate units. Um, we do have our franchise training director. He has, I believe, four units um, that are corporate, but he also manages all of our franchise units and helps with training and supporting them on any issues that they have. So he, that way it's a good way he stays uh, a little bit into corporate and then um, can guide in franchising as well. How much do your franchisees um, have to become pillars of their community, get involved in the community? I mean, the, the charity work that you do as a brand is, is just admirable. Um, and a lot of brands in my, in my days, you know, the three-mile radius was the center of my universe. And we had to go out there and, and do an awful lot of local branding and local marketing. Is there, is there part of that as part of a Kalachi uh, factory franchisee? Is he out there in front of the community, or is he kind of backstage? Well, he needs to be out front in the community. Um, and we have many franchisees that are uh, great advocates in their area, um, whether that be um, uh, supporting their local schools or, or churches or <clears throat> doing junior achievement or, or what have you. Um, and we have some that, that sort of stay in the back. And I think those that stay in the back, uh, it's reflective in their sales. So those people that take the time to go out, do the footwork, um, meet their neighbors, um, get involved, um, your customers want to see that. They want to see that you're giving back. Uh, and if you're not giving back and, and speaking about how you're giving back, um, then people are questioning why. It makes nothing but sense. We're going to come back and talk more about the profile of a perfect franchisee if there is such a thing. You know, if you were rubbing the genie out of the lamp, who are we looking for? But first, let me remind you, you're listening to Franchise Today. I'm Stan Friedman, minus Paul Segreto on this day. But speaking with John Banks, who is the president and founder of the Kalachi Factory, and first daughter, Dawn Nielsen, recently promoted from VP to Chief Operating Officer. I have to say that because Jerry Darnell is listening. <laughs> <laughs> and Dawn is really the fuel that has driven the engine of this company's growth, and she's been at it since you know, eight or nine years old, and um, what an incredible empire they are building. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where they've been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Foundry fosters healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. Franchise Foundry provides both 
coaching and consulting, a hybrid approach, delivering more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as their franchisees. The Franchise Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and providing the guidance needed to navigate those courses. Learn more about Paul Segreto and the Franchise Foundry along with their ex expanding list of clients at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchise Today also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM empowers real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and prospective as well as existing franchisees. This enables you to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from prospective and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management, and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. No long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So, that business out of the way, let's get back to yours. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the franchise side of the business. Um, whose idea was that, and when did that happen? Well, um, in, uh, when we first started out in the, in the business, uh, people would come in and ask us, uh, you know, why don't you open a location down in Pearland or, or, or Woodlands or another place? And uh, so we really didn't uh, have the funds to do that. And one way to expand was to start franchising. So we did that in the year 2000. And we had seven company locations at that time, and we opened uh, seven franchise locations. So we doubled in the year 2000 when we uh, when we began this. So it was our way of, of expanding and with with without having a whole lot of uh, funds. So how did that look at that time? How did you learn about franchising? How did you learn about getting into the business of franchising and growing and scaling and getting things written in ops manuals and all the things that you have to do? Well, we uh, we hired the right people to do it all, I think, uh, and uh, we've we've always been uh, you know pretty flexible and and uh, tried to uh, do whatever it took to to make the franchise successful. So I think that's yeah. I think that when you have as many company-owned stores as you'd already had, what was the number back in 2000? Do you suppose how many stores were already open and operating that you owned? back at that time. In 2000, yeah. it, it was seven, seven, seven companies. So you were already at the point where, you know, most people who go multi-unit in operations, after they get to store number two or three, mm -hmm. they get to a place where they <clears> understand <throat> there's a pivot that has to take place. I'm no longer an operator. You know, I'm a manager. Right. And I've got to have the ability then to hire managers and support people and 
have manuals to teach them. So basically, whether you were franchising yet or not, when you've got seven stores going, you need the same things that a franchisor needs to help people get trained and to help them learn your business without you being responsible for everything. Isn't that right? That's true. That's absolutely true. So you were pretty much, you were probably further down the road with seven units than a lot of people are today when they get into franchising with one or two stores and think they've proven concept. Well, not quite to the degree that you have. So it's admirable. Let's talk about who a franchisee should be. If you were kind of building the profile of a perfect franchisee, if you could go out every time and say, I wish that we had this as a franchisee, what would those attributes look like? Well, I think um, we look for somebody that's uh, customer-oriented and, and, uh, and, and sales-oriented. And uh, we don't necessarily look for people that have experience in the, in the food industry. Uh, we, we actually uh, prefer to train them uh, and train them our way because we do things a little different, I think, um, from, the, from the beginning. So there's, uh, there's no one perfect thing that we could say we've, we've, we've got franchisees that have been in all different sorts of businesses and uh, and uh, have, whether they're accountants or or sales or work in, work in the oil industry as, as uh, owner managers uh, it, uh, it it doesn't matter to us tell us about the profile from the perspective of uh, financial requirement and the kinds of offerings that you make are you offering single unit owner operators only or are you doing multiple um, opportunities or area development of any kind we do um, as a matter of fact any any place in a, in a new territory in a new city where uh, we don't have a presence then we like to do a multi-store agreement and we do a minimum of three stores the, the financial requirements is a net worth of uh, five hundred thousand and uh, cash of uh, 100000 at least. So, And so that person then uh, would open up on a development schedule? Would they have to get with all three open in a, in a specific timeline or open one and then the second and third, or how does that work? We open one and then the second and third. We, we, uh, we do that in a three-year uh, process for, for all three locations. And then, of course, they're compliant in terms of having to fulfill whatever the obligations were for store one before they can open store two or? Correct. Uh, and then what, what other kinds of development are you doing? Are you doing any kinds where you are going after bigger um, operators that already have other brands that maybe would not be um, any kind of direct competition to yours, but where they've got a footprint or maybe even the ability to cross-train people that are you know, doing hamburgers or ice cream or some other concepts are, are those the kinds of experience people you'd be interested in or you're saying you don't want them even? Oh, no, we, we, we do want them and uh, we are interested and we've talked to, uh, to a number of them over, over a period of time, but uh, we just never had, have connected yet with the right, uh, with the right concept. And so tell me about um, the financial performance on the franchisee side. Do you guys provide an item 19 in your, in your financial, um, do you make financial representations in your FDD? We do, and we uh, we use the company uh, stores at, the, at this time. Are you, are you willing to share what those look like? Can we light up the audience with some 
Oh, you know what? He doesn't uh, like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Without it All right. in front of me, I couldn't tell well, you. Well, let's, let's park it there and say this. <laughs> Franchisees are happy? Yes, franchisees are happy. Franchisees making money? Yes, they are making money. Franchisees are coming back for second and third bites of the apple? Are they looking to come back and open more units? Most of them are. I mean, we've got some single operators out there that are happy just having their one unit. Um, that makes them very content, and, and they don't want any more than that. But uh, we've got about uh, five or six in our community right now that um, have ambitions to expand um, and, and do quite more than just the three units. So uh, we've got one, unit, one franchisee that's been with us the longest, and he has five. And are they willing to, uh, when they hear about new franchisees coming on board, do they worry that they're getting close to their area or they're thinking maybe I want another store and that's going to be the place I want mine to be? Do you run into that? Yeah, yeah, yeah we run into that. Um, we try to reassure them. You know, we, we don't want to put anyone on top of anyone else. Right. That's not our ambition. Um, we want everyone to be successful within their community. But we also know that, you know, you can't always say it's a three-mile radius anymore or a one-mile radius. It all depends on demographics and and how many people are in a particular area. So you could really have multiple locations within a very small footprint. Um, so we try to reassure them that um, you know, building the brand and, and having this convenience factor is actually helping you. It's not hindering you. So looking out from here forward, do you have any, um, any aspirations for growth that would be taking the product mobile or retail or those kinds of uh, thoughts, or are we all focused on distribution through the actual over-the-counter at the retail locations? Or we are focused on uh, <coughs> on on the retail locations over-the-counter. We have looked into the uh, to the possibility of doing some uh, different things. Retails, for instance, a uh, a dough mix that we might sell in the stores uh, in a one-pound package or whatever. Uh, to take home and make the kolaches, but I think our focus is always going to be on the retail stores. Do your franchisees have um, an annual conference? Do you? We do. We have a, a yearly mandatory conference that's generally held at the end of April, uh, March or, or the beginning of April, um, and we try to make it fun for them. It's not always held here in Katy. Um, right. <laughs> Uh, we try to uh, have it in different places. Like one year we had it in Colorado Springs, and then um, we've had it in Dallas and in different areas. Um, do the franchisees participate in putting those agendas together, or do you have like an advisory council? Yeah, so um, we don't have an advisory council. That is something we are working on right now, um, and we've been working on trying to find uh, the right people for that uh, committee. But um, we one of the very most important things to me is that we have an open line of communication and dialogue. And so um, many franchisees over the years have said, hey, we really want to have roundtable discussions. We really want to you know, hear about this. And we take those things to heart, at least I do. And when we sit down and we have our you know, many meetings when we're planning out our annual seminar, we're talking about these things that they're bringing to light that they want to hear more about. Um, or if they want it restructured, you know, to divvy it up and have it over more days instead of, you know, eight hours. They want it in smaller segments. So, um, you know, we're constantly trying to improve and make the seminar the best it can be for them. Uh, if I were asked to ask a franchisee what is the one thing about the Kalachi Factory franchise that has changed their life dramatically, is, is there one thing that you hear from your franchisees that, that just pops out 
uh, over and again about how different their life's been as they've become involved with this concept? That's a good question. Do you, do you know the answer? Uh, you know, one of the things that they love about our uh, concept is the hours. Yeah. I was, that was going to be mine. If you didn't come up with that, I was going to be, why not? Because I can't count how many times I've, and I'll do it again tomorrow, <coughs> tomorrow evening. I'll jump on an airplane that will get me back to Atlanta tomorrow night at about 8 or 8.30. And, and if I were opening up an in-flight magazine and seeing a picture of somebody with his kids out of the pool or over the grill and saying, this is my life since I've become, you know, a kolache factory friend because you close your what, at 2 o'clock in the yeah, afternoon? Yeah, right. <laughs> that would get me right here. <laughs> so I'm sure that that's, that's got to be one thing that you hear from your franchisees about lifestyle changes. Um, and other validation kinds of things that prospective franchisees pick up on. Do you give them any, you know, any any guidance as to the kinds of questions to ask um, existing franchisees about how they operate their businesses? If you were trying to help the perfect person understand what the most successful traits are, um, customer-centric, I understand that. Um, what else would you look for? Would it be business acumen or personality or? Well, I mean, I, I think they definitely need to understand business. You know, they they need to be able to read financials and understand where their money's being spent um, and how they can um, curb uh, spending and adjust where they can um, so they can make their bottom line more profitable. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I think, when we talk about the perfect franchisee and, and how to be successful is they need to follow our model. Um, this isn't an opportunity for you to come in and change the model. The model's been here 35 years. Um, we haven't changed our product, um, and we're still expanding. And there's a reason for that. It's because people love what we do. They love our product. They love our quick service. They love our uh, ambiance within our, our, our bakeries. Uh, and so I think uh, that's very important to us is that somebody who wants to become part of our culture and become part of our extended family uh, wants to follow our lead. Um, we are open to constructive criticism and learning how we can make it better, but this is not an opportunity for you to go rogue um, and become an entrepreneur. This is an opportunity for you to expand with us um, and grow the system. Um, customer service is, is a priority uh, and a dedication to quality. Uh, quality, cleanliness, those are the things that people are looking for when they walk in. That's the first thing that people see before they take a bite out of the product is, is, is your store in order? Do I want to eat here? Do I want to sit down? Do I want to take my family here? Do I want to take the product home? If I don't feel comfortable walking in and the place is in shambles, um, you're not going to be successful, right. and, and that's not someone that we're interested in, in entertaining. So cutting corners um, and not taking care of the front of the house, the back of the house, and your bottom line, um, these are these are non-negotiables. Well, I'm sure you lay that out at Discovery Day the way you just laid it out here because I'm – I'm looking at you, and the conviction of, of your words tells me that that's non-negotiable. So tell me about your training. Um, so you select the right people, and you get the right people who at least have convinced you that you have likeness of mind and shared vision, shared values, and ethics. Tell me about the training program. Right. So our franchise director, um, Herman Grubler, um, has a training program that he's written for us, and it's 240 hours um, of class time um, and, and in-store time. So they come, franchisees come down with, during construction. Um, they're on for two weeks. Um, they learn how to run the front of the house, the back of the house, 
Um, they learn how to order food. Uh, they learn how to do caterings. There's all a whole facets of the things that we do on a daily basis that they uh, learn in the first two weeks. They then go home for another week or two and then return just before opening for their final two weeks worth of training. And then in that, a lot of that is where they're then responsible for managing that store, really sort of learning how to do it alone but with guidance. Um, then they also get about eight hours worth of classroom time here at the corporate office where we go over all the things that they're going to need to worry about, which is their merchant services, um, permitting, um, um, employment laws, uh, marketing, advertising, those kind of things. Are there any continuing educational programs after the initial training? Do you have refreshers or do you have any kind of training for their frontline managers or support people? We, prov we, uh, we provide that for them, so if they need that, they just need to contact Herman and schedule that. Um, that would be something at their cost, whether, the, whether they would send someone here, or if they are just opening and they need additional assistance, like John said in the very beginning, we're here to support the franchisees. We send someone back on a plane or back in the car to get back up there to make sure that they open correctly. We send a team of people up there to help them open the first week, and then they're sort of on their own. But if anything happens after that point and they need additional assistance, we're there to make sure that they get started right. Talk to me a little bit about the continuing support in the field after a franchisee has been with you. Do you have uh, periodic visits to their locations and site visits and even uh, business help and assistance as well as um, when a purchase isn't looking right or that window is not as clean as it should be, that kind of... Right, we do. Uh, we have our stores, every one of our locations is shopped by a secret shopper independent of us. Um, and we have several things that they go over, which is the cleanliness of the front, the bathrooms, the product, the coffee, all of those things that are, that, that are covered. And franchisees get that every month. And then as well as what we do is we do field audits. So Herman or his assistants will either... Um, will travel around, especially here locally, they, they sort of get hit a little more often than those that are a little more remote. But each location um, gets a field audit at least twice a year. And then on the marketing side, talk a little bit about your marketing fund and how it does what it does in support of the franchisees. I know that the charity and, and the, the athlete you know, involvement has got to be something that everybody benefits from, but what about local store marketing? How is that? Yes, yeah, so the ad fund currently is something that we're, we're reviewing, um, but currently the way it works right now is it goes to support system-wide um, initiatives. So when we do a major photography shoot, like you're looking right there in front of you, everybody shares in the cost of that. Um, the ad fund covers our email program, it covers our gift card program, um, it covers a lot of the uh, different little things that we do that make our system better than a mom and pop. Uh, so um, I'm proud of what the Ad Fund is able to support um, because the number of units that we have allows us to do many things we would not otherwise be able sure. to do. When we talk about here specifically in Houston, we have partnered with the Houston Texans currently um, as well as um, the Skeeters, which is um, like a, a B baseball team out here in Sugarland. And it allows us to have big billboards, LED signage, um, you know, um, call-outs, radio, and stuff like that that we would not otherwise be able to do. You do some things, too, where you give back money for, like, a touchdown or there's something that 
Right. So uh, currently with the Texans, if uh, the Texans get within the end zone, um, there is a $5,000 um, uh, amount that goes back to the Texans Educational Fund. Which just makes, again, it makes for the kind of impression on your community right. that, that you're not just people taking. Exactly. You're, you're giving back and you're doing it because you're not doing it for profit. You know, you're, you're doing it to be part of the community. A couple of other things before we run out of time that I want to ask you about uh, because you're very modest and um, and I don't want to let the time get away without the audience knowing about some of the final awards and accolades that have come your way. You've been recognized by the Food Network and others. Talk a little bit about some of those accolades. Well, um, there's there's many of them. You sort of get mentioned and you don't even know you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, entrepreneurs mention us um, almost every year for the last, I believe, five years as the top 500 franchise units. Um, and then, you know, there's um, baking uh, has mentioned us, and I think in the top, uh, I don't remember if it was 200, um, but, uh, and then the top 50 largest food service bakery chains, that's what it was, thank right. you. Um, so we, we fast 100 growing companies, Houston nominated us for that for five years in a row, um, so that was great here America, locally. America's top five drive throughs by the Food Network is what caught my eye. Yeah, yeah. You know, back in the day. That was back in the day. Back in the day when I was in the chicken wing business, um, <coughs> we were a small company. We were maybe 35 or 40 stores at, at that time. Um, but the Food Network, Al Roker came and featured us on a weekly program that was called Roker on the Road. And it, it probably took 30 or 35 hours to film what turned into about seven or eight minutes of television. <laughs> but uh, when that segment aired, what it did for us was it crashed our website. And it just crashed the website with interest and with people coming our way. The power of the Food Network is something that I don't underestimate. And so when I saw recognition and accolades coming your way from the Food Network, it just validated what I thought I knew about this company before I even got here. What's funny about that award is when that was um, bestowed upon us, um, that was the only drive through we ever had. So it was the first, <laughs> and we got the award. <laughs> we, we thought that was pretty funny. And we saw a spike in business after that aired. I would have to well. believe so. Yeah, even, even aired so. a couple of times after the initial one, and uh, each time we'd see a spike in the business. So they are, they have a lot of weight there. They've got a very, very loyal and dedicated audience of foodies. And mm -hmm. and so when you've got something good and they've not heard of it before, mm -hmm. um, they became the gift that kept on giving for us. Because to your point, mm -hmm. it aired and then it aired again and then it aired again. And each time it did, you know, we, we were able to feel that spike. So I'm sure that many more times coming your way in the future. Um, our audience has learned quite a bit about this company today, and I'm sure that there are going to be some people out there who would like to learn even more. So any places that you are going to be, either at expos or at industry shows, or any place that people can go to learn more about you or just how to get in touch with you? Yes, we don't have any um, trade shows on the books for uh, the next quarter, but if they want to learn more, they can go to kf-franchising.com. Um, there's a whole section there about us. Uh, they can also contact Aaron Nielsen, which is the Chief Development Officer, at 281-829-6188, extension 108. Do that again. 281-829-6188, extension 108. Again, that's Aaron Nielsen. 
um, and he'll be happy to answer any questions that they might have. But I encourage everybody to check out the website. Um, if you forget kf-franchising.com, there's always kolachifactory.com, and there's a little link up there that will help you get you to where you need to be. Spell Kolachi. K-O-L-A-C-H-E. Because, again, we take things for granted, but, you know, the audience is hearing the word for the first time. Let's not tempt fate and hope that they can't figure out how to spell it. So <laughs> any, any parting thoughts? Well, um, you know, we've, we've been really lucky. Uh, we started, as I mentioned, in 1982. And when you look at our sales chart, every year for 34 years has been greater in sales than the previous year. So I'm, I'm very proud of that. So I couldn't get an item 19 earnings representation, but you came back strong right there, John. That's good. <laughs> Listen, comp sales, positive comp sales and, and positive growth. Um, you know, franchising is all about making successful people more successful doing what you've described, following systems, Don, and not trying to reinvent the wheel. And I have found in 30-plus years it really, really works when each participant understands their role, <laughs> understands their part of the equation, right? and that, you know, if you hitch your wagon to an engine like this one, um, odds are good things are going to happen because you don't have this kind of success in a $30 million company, um, proving its concept with half of its stores being company-owned before you began franchising. There's no question you know what you're doing and, and that you've repeated and replicated your successes. Thank you. And so it's really, really great to see this, and I can't wait to spend a little more time after we wrap up here today um, getting to taste a couple more flavors and learning a little bit more about your business. So it's been a real treat and a real pleasure to have you with us today on Franchise Today. Any last thoughts from you, Dawn? No, I just want to thank you, Stan, for the opportunity to give us a voice uh, and let people learn a little more about our family and uh, about our culture and about our, our brand. You uh, you kind of deceived me a little bit, telling me that Don wouldn't want to talk and he wouldn't have a lot to say. John's been great. Yeah, <laughs> I told him to pretend it wasn't live. <laughs> well, you know, live is part of the fun. We almost, the audience didn't see the pressure we were under here right up to two or three minutes before <laughs> right. airtime when we couldn't connect with the back-end dashboard at Blog Talk Radio. But that's part of the fun. Paul always says that. Part of the fun of doing it live is it's live. That's right. <laughs> and, and you make it fun, Stan. You really do. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate um, the time you spent with us today in helping our audience learn more about Kalachi Factory. Uh, a couple of just quick upcoming things to talk about before we wrap for the day today. Uh, Paul will be back next week. And upcoming in January, which is just around the corner, the 18th through the 20th, Franchise Expo South. And right after that, we're looking at the IFA convention in Phoenix. So until next week, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you all the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. <laughs>